As we continue our uh, series called Follow Me, Walking in the Footsteps of Jesus, uh, I want to remind you, the past few weeks, we have had a story from the book of Matthew. We have had a story from the book of Mark. We have had a look in on the life of Jesus from the book of Luke. And we've had one from the book of John. Today, we are going to take a glimpse at a story that takes place in the life of Jesus that is so essential to our understanding of the gospel and God's will for our life that it appears and is mentioned in all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a story about Jesus, but the story doesn't begin with Jesus. It begins with somebody else. You know how every family has that like weird uncle or that oddball cousin? If you don't know who that is in your family, then my guess is it might be you, just so you know. Well, Jesus' family had somebody like that too. Uh, he was Jesus' cousin, and his name was John. Um, and he is known forever as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. Um, and let me just give you a sense of who this guy is. Um, if you watch movies about the gospel or about the story of Jesus' life, if John appears in those movies, he's always like a wild and crazy dude. His hair's going in 40 directions. He looks like a homeless guy. He doesn't dress right. He kind of seems a little crazy and off the wall. Um, well, John was weird, but he wasn't crazy. John was different. He stood out in the crowd. He didn't dress like everybody else. He didn't act like everybody else. But he wasn't crazy. In fact, he was in touch with the Spirit of God from the time that he was in his mother's womb. If you remember the story of when Mary, who is carrying Jesus in her womb, comes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is carrying John in her womb, that when Mary enters the room, Elizabeth says her child leapt in the womb because he recognizes that he's in the presence of his Savior. And the scripture describes John as being filled with the Spirit throughout his life. Now, he dressed weird. He wore clothing made of animal hair. He wore what the Bible calls a leather girdle around his waist. That is not how people dressed in those days. That was not your typical man on the street dressing. He stood out in a crowd. But he dressed like somebody else. And that's somebody else. You can look this up on your own. In 2 Kings chapter 1, it describes Elijah to us. And it tells us that Elijah also wore a, a coat made of animal hair and was bound about the waist by a leather girdle. So John the Baptist dressed just like Elijah. And Jesus even compared him to Elijah and said that he's, in, in essence, the, the return of Elijah. He, he, he was a prophet who preached in the spirit of Elijah. And by the way, we think about prophets in the scripture. It had been a very, very long time since the people of God had heard from a prophet. They had not heard a word from God in 400 years. Since the time of Malachi and the closing of the Old Testament era, there had not been a word to his people from God through a prophet. Now, 400 years is a long time. Think about this. 400 years ago, the year was 1620. You know what happened in 1620? 
the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock. That's a long time ago. You know what happened in 1620? The Ming Dynasty was the main rulers of the world. Do you know what happened in 1620? Jim Thompson graduated from high school. We're talking about 400 years ago. So 400 years ago, think about this. What do you know about your ancestors from 400 years ago? What do you know about their names or who they were or where they lived or what they believed or what they did? You probably know very, very little. And what they did probably has very little effect on your life. It had been 400 years since the people of Israel had heard from God. Now they had heard about God. They had read stories about this active God who was once active in the life of Israel, but they hadn't heard from God in 400 years. But after 400 years came a prophet cut from the mold of Elijah and he came to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he took the people by storm. He lived in the wilderness. In fact, uh, the scripture implies that he, he spent his whole childhood in the wilderness. He, he had grown up in the wilderness. He didn't live with his community. He, he was an outcast from the beginning. And it tells us that not only did he dress weird, but his diet consisted of bugs and honey. So, so he lived alone out in the wilderness, sort of this hermit guy who ate bugs and honey and dressed weird. But the funny thing is that he was incredibly attractive to the people of Israel. In fact, the people of Israel didn't wait for him to come into the city to preach. They went out to him. They trekked miles into the, into the desert in order to find this weird guy eating locusts and honey who was preaching this message of preparation for the Messiah. His message is a message of repentance. And he called upon people to show, his, to show their repentance by getting baptized. And so they called him John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And he was, he was called John the Baptizer because that's what made him unique. Other priests and, and uh, religious leaders were not baptizing during this time. His baptism was different. Now, baptism is a fairly common occurrence in our culture. In fact, it's, it's a cause for celebration, right? When somebody's being baptized, we have a party, we have a gathering. It's, it's, uh, it's seen by most people as a highly dignified thing to do. But that's not how it was seen during the time of John. During the time of John... Baptism wasn't common. The only baptism that was ever practiced was exceedingly rare. And it was when a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism. And if a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism, baptism was part of it. In fact, there was a three-step process if a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism. It was not a common thing to do, and it was a costly thing to do, and it was a big deal when you came to understand that the God of the Jews was the one and only true God, and you converted from your paganism into Judaism. Just picture this. It would be something like a Muslim living in the Middle East today converting to Christianity or Judaism. It was a big deal. It was rare, 
and it was costly. And there was this three-step process. First of all, you had to go to the temple and you had to make a specific kind of animal sacrifice there in the temple. Secondly, um, if you were a male, you had to be circumcised. Now you can understand now why this was a very rare occasion. The Jewish males were circumcised at eight days. They had no memory of the pain. But if you were older than that, and you were old enough to make a decision to convert to Judaism, and you were a male, it meant there was going to be an extremely painful and extremely humbling process that you were going to have to go through. So there were not a lot of Gentile males lining up saying, where do I sign up? I want to do this. So first, an animal sacrifice. Second, circumcision. And then the third step of your conversion was baptism. There was a, there was a, the word baptism, it comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse or to bathe. And the idea here is that there would be this symbolic bathing that would take place that would be symbolic of dying to your old self and being a new person and being an actual Jew. The, ob the, the obvious um, picture was one of cleansing. Uh, the old life was washed away and the new life came in. It was a humbling process. It was a very serious process. And it was an undeniable sign that you were submitting to God, the one and only true God, for the rest of your life. Now, John's baptism was a sign of repentance. People were coming out to John in the wilderness and he was preaching a message of repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is changing your mind resulting in changing your direction, resulting in changing your behavior, resulting in a changed life. So when we hear the word repentance, which is not a word that gets thrown around very much these days because it sounds sort of intimidating, it's this idea that because you've come to understand something different, you are going to change your direction, you're going to change your mind, you're going to live differently from this point on. So John's message was a message of repentance. He preached that people needed to repent because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. He called people to turn from their sin and baptism was the first sign of that repentance. In fact, John was so serious about the connection between his baptism and repentance that he refused to baptize people unless he was confident they were actually repentant. Take your Bibles and go to the book of Matthew. New Testament, first book of the New Testament. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 3, very, very Early in Matthew's account, Matthew gives us in the first two chapters genealogies and the Christmas story. And then we get to chapter 3. And in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, I want you to follow along with me as I read from the New American Standard Bible. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make, way the way of the, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, 
Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, let's just stop there for a second. Uh, picture this. This is like um, a revival preacher. He's preaching out in the wilderness. People are coming out to him and he's preaching this sermon that is calling people to repent. And then he says, if you want to repent, if you want to confess your sins and turn from your sins and walk with God, come forward and we're going to baptize you. And he notices that the religious leaders from Jerusalem start coming forward. Just picture this is like a Greg Laurie Harvest Crusade or a Billy Graham Crusade and a stadium is full and he gives the invitation and people just start filling the aisles and coming down on the field. And as they come, he sees that many of them are well-known religious leaders. And what does he do? Instead of rejoicing that these guys have responded to his message and come forward, he calls them a bunch of snakes. He stops them. He goes, you guys are a bunch of snakes. You're only coming because someone warned you about the wrath of God. Why have you come forward? Imagine what they're thinking. Listen, dude, you told us to come forward if we want to repent. We want to repent and now you're stopping us. What should we do? What do you want us to do? And he says, therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Show it with your lives. Don't just come forward. But take it seriously. And do not suppose, verse 9, that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that these stones, that from these stones God is able to raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear the threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In Luke's account, these people ask John what he expects them to do as a way of bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. And he gives them specific things in each one of their lives that need to change. Hey, if you've been stealing, stop stealing and start giving to people. And he, he describes for them what repentance is. He says, you know what? If you're a Roman soldier, stop getting over on the people. Stop abusing people. Stop doing the things that you've been doing. He says, if you're a tax collector, stop ripping the people off. And he gives them all these specific things that they should do. In other words, repentance is not just an idea. Repentance is not just raising your hand in church. Repentance is when you turn from your sin and begin to live the opposite way that you've been living. I'm telling you all this to make a simple point. John's baptism was all about repentance. And that's what makes what happens next so incredibly weird. Pick it up in verse 13. Then Jesus arrived. That word arrived, just before we go any further, that Greek word arrived, it means that he, he um, revealed himself publicly. He came on the scene. He took the stage. That's the idea of that word. Then Jesus arrived. This is his coming out party, if you will. He arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. 
But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. This didn't make any sense to John. I just told you, John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. There's only one person who has ever lived in the history of the world who did not need repentance from sin, and that was the one who was standing before John. He comes forward and says, I want you to baptize me, and John essentially says what Peter said to him so many times, No, Lord, I'm not doing it. I need to be baptized by you. How can, how can we even talk about repentance? You've lived a perfect life. You're a sinless man. It didn't make any sense to John. He knew that God had commanded him to preach repentance. He knew that God had commanded him to baptize people in connection with their repentance and their submission to God. But Jesus had no need to repent. And John was right. It would have seemed more fitting for Jesus to do the baptizing of John. So why did Jesus get baptized? John couldn't understand it because he was only thinking of the issue of repentance. But baptism is about more than just repentance. It's about humbly submitting to the will of the Father for your life. John couldn't understand it because he only connected this to repentance, but Jesus had something else in mind. Jesus, the God-man, had no need to repent, but he was the one who had come to represent righteousness for all of us. He was the one who came to represent submission to the Father for all of us, for every human being who would put their trust in him. He did it, he said, to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, to do all that the Father wants me to do. He was fulfilling everything the Father had called him to do. Just as he would go to the cross to fulfill the Father's will, he was now going into the water to fulfill the Father's will. He was doing what the Heavenly Father wanted him to do. Just as his death on the cross imputed righteousness to us, just as his resurrection from the grave includes us as a precursor to the coming resurrection that he offers to all of us who believe, just as his baptism was a precursor to our, to our own submission to, to the will of the Father in all things. It's no different than the way Philippians 2 describes his, humili his humility as an example for us to follow. Write it in your notes, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. You can go there this week and look at it. It talks about how Jesus humbled himself. That just coming to the earth and becoming a man was an act of humility and submission to the Father's will. And tells us that the example that Jesus sets of humility and submission is the example we are to follow. I've said it a hundred times, I'll say it again. You show me a submissive Christian and I will show you a spiritually mature person. Submission 
is high, high, high on the list of things that God wants to see in the lives of his followers. The baptism of Jesus is a picture of humility. It's a picture of submission to God. And it was necessary for him to do it as an example to be followed by all of us. This whole sermon series is about walking in the footsteps of Jesus. The examples that he set that he expects us to follow him in. And baptism is no exception. So just as Jesus' compassion is an example for us to follow. Just as Jesus being full of grace and full of truth is an example for us to follow. Just as the focus of Jesus' life is an example for us to follow. So is his submissiveness to the Father which is made evident in his baptism. And it's the beginning of his public ministry. It's his coming out party. And so while it's absolutely true that water baptism is not necessary for salvation, it is also true that water baptism is an essential part of what it means to humble ourselves and submit to the will of the Father in all things. After all, in the Great Commission, the last thing he says to his disciples before he ascends into heaven, Jesus says that we are to go and make disciples of all nations or all people groups or people everywhere, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that he has commanded them. Submission is a part of God's will for all of us and it is reflected in baptism, which is a part of God's will for all of us. Baptism is not, underline not, a means of salvation. But it is an appropriate and important response to our salvation. It's a step of humility. To, to, to go before people and publicly confess your faith in Jesus Christ. To confess that you've been living a life that has been marked by sin and now you're turning from that life. To confess that you're being born again. To confess that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, whatever the cost. To go down into the water to get your clothes wet, your hair wet, your makeup smudged and all of that kind of stuff in front of everybody so you can give glory to God. It's an act of humility. It's a sign of submission because God commands us to do it. And it's a public pronouncement that Jesus Christ is in fact the Lord of my life. Jesus was baptized as an example for us to follow. Not simply that we would repeat the act of baptism, but that we would humble ourselves before God and before man and declare publicly that we will live our lives in submission to God. So we've reached the point in the message where we talk about application. And the application in this is on the one hand extremely obvious and very simple. We are called to follow Jesus in the act of water baptism. And if you have yet to do that, if you have not um, been baptized in water as, an, as a sign of your submission, as a symbol of your new birth in Christ, I would encourage you to prayerfully consider doing that. There is so much important symbolism in the act of water baptism. It's a picture of our death to self and resurrection to new life. Again, here's a homework assignment. 
Find the book of Romans in your New Testament this week and read Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 12, where, where Paul describes for us the symbolism of baptism, that we are dead to self and made alive with Christ, that we identify with him in his death, and we also will identify him with him in our resurrection. Baptism is a symbolic picture of the death to self and new life that we have in Christ. It's a picture of the cleansing that takes place when we put our trust in Jesus. But perhaps most important of all, it is a vivid illustration of the humble submission to God without which we cannot enter into a saving relationship with him. And last but not least, it's a simple act of obedience. Jesus told us that he wants all of his followers to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Have you been baptized since the point in which you came into a saving relationship with Jesus? Since the point in which you, of your own volition, of your own will, have submitted your life to the Lordship of Christ? Have you been baptized? And if not, why not? What is holding you back? Was it that you didn't understand what baptism was about? Was it that uh, it's been a struggle for you to, to decide to do this for one reason or another? If you want to find out more about baptism, you want to find more about getting baptized, maybe, maybe you were baptized as an infant. It wasn't your choice. It wasn't a sign of your own faith in Christ. Or maybe uh, you've never been baptized since you've come to know Jesus. If you want to know more about baptism, what it's all about, why we do it, and how you can maybe pursue it, you can go to our website, gracedewardy.com. There's a page on there that is for the online uh, church, church at home. And on there, there's a button you can click, I want to know more about baptism. We'll get in contact with you and fill you in and answer any questions that you might have. But even if you have been baptized... This is a good time to pause. This is a good time to ask yourself if you're really living a life of submission to God. Guys, Christianity is not fire insurance from hell. Christianity is not a social club that you join. Christianity is a life that is handed over to Jesus in submission to his lordship. Are you walking in that kind of submission, whether you've been baptized or not. It's easy to identify with Christianity. It's easy to come to church, but never really submit yourself to the authority of Jesus in your life. So how are you doing in the area of submission to him? That might be an area that God's calling you to address. It might be an area that he wants you to give some thought to, some prayer to. Maybe you need to talk to somebody about that. Again, gracetowardy.com. Hey, I'd like to be contacted by somebody. Let us know and we'll get in contact with you and help you walk through this and think about it and make changes. Let me put it to you this way as I close. How's your humility? Is your life really about Jesus and his will? Or are you living for your own purposes and for your own glory? Today is the first day of the rest of your life.
You may have been stumbling recently and God is reminding you that he stands with his arms outstretched to you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, Jesus says, and I will give you rest for your souls. Maybe that's something you need to talk to Jesus about today. Why not follow John's advice and bear fruit in keeping with repentance? Let's pray together. Father, we want to give you all of the thanks and praise. We want to give you all of the glory. We confess our lives are not about us. Our lives are supposed to be all about you. And so we ask you, God, to help us because everything in the world tells us to stick our chest out, stand up straight, and make a name for ourselves. But God, you have called us to humble ourselves, submit to you, and let your name be made great through us. Help us to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.